Hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Austin. I'm one of the pastors here at TLC. I'm also the person who told the Joldersmas about the Chick-fil-A nugget tray. And I'm excited to get to close our series out this morning, Words That Perform. We've been going through this series through the Apostles' Creed, this ancient creed that Christians have believed, proclaimed, confessed for years and years. All this idea that these words, some words inform, but some words have a weight. They have a meaning. They change things. These words perform. The words of the Apostles' Creed are words that perform. And we began this series by looking at the first two words of the creed, I believe. And this morning, we're going to close out our series by looking at the last two words of the creed. Well, technically, the last word is amen. So if we're speaking technically, it's the uh, second and third to last words. Uh, But nonetheless, so the creed ends with a few lines saying, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the dead, And then these last two words, life everlasting. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. But first, I have a question. If someone came to you with $1 million, that's right, I said $1 million, and asked you to describe yourself in three ways that you know are true about you that will never change, what would you say? These three things, they have to be true about you. You have to know they're true, and they will never change about you. They can be a physical characteristic. They could be an attribute. They could be a date but they can never change. When I say never, I mean never. So if you have a six pack, you might not want to say six pack because chances are you're probably not going to have a six pack forever. I'll give you one example and then I'm going to ask you to share with somebody uh, next to you or on a chat. So an example for me, I know that my birthday is September 27th, 1994. I got proof. It's on my birth certificate. It's never going to change. So that's an example. What I want you to do now is turn to the person to your left or right that you're sitting with or on an online chat, Facebook, church online. Just shout out one or two things that you would say if somebody came to you. And if you're like, oh, this is lame. Hey, this is hard. Like we're doing this online. And one of the best ways to make this a little easier, give a little more energy in it, is to have some interaction, whether it's online in a chat or with the people in your room. So shout out an answer to I'm going to give you a second to think about it and share. All right, now I'm going to bet that not a single one of you said something that all of you could have said. There's something that all of us, it's true about each and every one of us. It's never going to change. It's true about me and it's true about you, but I bet none of you said it. In fact, if one of you did say this, I want you to email me, austin at localgr.org. I have a Starbucks gift card I'm going to send you. Ready? It's true about me. It's true about you. You want to know what it is? I will die. And you will die. Welcome to church. (laughs) No, seriously though, like we're all going to die. That's a fact about us. It's true about us. We know it's true. It's never going to change. And the only reason I bring all that up is because that, that the last two words of the creed, I believe in a life everlasting only matter if that fact is still a fact that we are going to die. But for many of us, this is a hard pill to swallow. I remember when I was 11 years old, or I was in fourth grade, so I don't know how old you are in fourth grade, probably not 11. I was like eight or nine maybe then. (laughs) I don't know. Ages are tough, right? But I remember when I was in fourth grade, I got an argument with my brother. uh, And this argument, it was about something that definitely mattered in zero ways, in zero scenarios, like didn't matter at all. I think it was about bringing something upstairs to my mom or something, right? Like super stupid. And one thing you need to know about me is I'm kind of an all or nothing person. So when it comes to, when it came to arguing with my brother, uh, when I was growing up and fighting with my brother, like I was all in all the time, okay? So this fight, this argument escalated to the point of me uh, chasing my brother around, like around the house, up the stairs, around a corner. And at, 
I was so all in that when my brother turned a corner, I decided that I was going to put an end to this argument. I was going to leap blindly like a cheetah onto my brother's back. And it was going to work perfect. It was going to work great. The only problem was that when he turned the corner, I swung around the opposite way and there was this massive dresser that was like 200 year old, 200 years old with corners like knives. And when he swung this way, I swung that way and boom, right in the middle of the face. There was blood everywhere. And I don't do well with blood. It freaks me out. And so you can imagine how panicked I was when I, I fell to the ground and I, my head was hurting. And I, I looked and there was blood. And then I looked at my brother's face who was looking back at me like he had seen a ghost. Oh, it was so bad. This was a whole thing. I had to go to the hospital. Uh, the, the, you could like see my skull. The doctor told my parents, you should really have him go look in a mirror so he can see the consequences of horsing around. I was like, dude, I can ha- hardly handle this blood, let alone my skull, man. Like worst dad in the world and wasn't even a good doctor. I still have a a scar looking like Harry Potter or something, but I had, uh, you know, stitches, glue, like it was a whole thing, but I'll never forget the the whole time that it happened right after it happened, running down the stairs to get into the car in the car on the way to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, the whole time I was screaming, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. I'm this little fourth grader and all I've seen is uh, I have a boo-boo and I have a ton of blood and blood equals death and I know that I do not want to die. Now many of us, although we aren't fourth graders running around with a gash in our head, walk around with that same feeling. I don't want to die, right? Whether it's due to fear or anxiety or wanting to do this thing or do that thing, death is often avoided and unwanted. But Jesus changes everything, right? Jesus gives us life everlasting. For followers of Jesus, death is just another place where we go to meet him. Jesus meets us anywhere that we are. That's why uh, Paul in his letter to the Philippians said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's why Christians in the, in the past have, haven't feared death and they've even welcomed it. St. Francis of Assisi wrote a poem called The Canticles of the Sun. By the way, if you're going to write a poem, you should definitely title it Canticles of the Sun. And in this poem, he referred to death as Sister Death. He even greeted Sister Death as a friend. Christians haven't feared death. They've even welcomed it, which only makes sense, right? I mean, if these are words that perform, then when we say that we believe in a life everlasting, that means something. It changes things. It means when we, when we say we believe in a life everlasting, it means that death is not the end to our story. That God has defeated death and that we have hope and that we have life in Jesus. We have life everlasting. Now I could spend the entire morning, the rest of our morning at least, talking about a bunch of things that we don't really know about life and the death and the afterlife and all this stuff that we don't know, but I don't want to do that this morning. What I want to do this morning is Instead, I'd like to focus on the few things that we do know. The truth is that our understanding of the life everlasting is minimal at best. And that's okay. That's what makes God the creator, and that's what makes us the created. But God's word does tell us a few things that we, are, that we can, can know about 
the life everlasting. And I want to focus on those things this morning. There's two things that, you see, when we say we believe in the life everlasting, there's two things that we really acknowledge that we can know for sure that God's word tells us. Those two things. First, life everlasting is Jesus. And second, life everlasting is now. Life everlasting is Jesus and life everlasting is now. Now those two statements sound a little pithy and sound maybe a little ridiculous, right? So I want to unpack those this morning. So first, life everlasting is Jesus. What I mean when I say that, you see the the phrase that is used in the the Apostles' Creed, this ancient creed to refer to uh, everlasting life, is a phrase that appears over and over again in the scripture, in the New Testament, specifically in the Gospel of John. You see, the, the Apostles' Creed wasn't written in English, right? And so the phrase that's used that's translated in English in the creed as life everlasting is the same phrase that is translated often in the Bible as eternal life. And eternal life occurs over and over again in the book of John specifically. And lucky for us, John actually is a a key to help unlock what is this life everlasting? What is eternal life? Eternal life and life everlasting used very interchangeably. And Jesus actually, lucky for us, says point blank. He doesn't say a lot of things point blank, but in John chapter 17, verse three, Jesus says that this is eternal life, that they know you, Father, they know you, the only true God, and they know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You see, to to know Jesus is eternal life. The word know that's used here has what commentators call experiential force. Everyone uh, in your living room, uh, on the chat or whatever, uh, say experiential force. Sounds like so dramatic, right? Like a Star Trek, a Star Trek like battleship name or something like that. Oh, uh, that was really nerdy. All right. Anyway, when Jesus says that uh, life eternal is to know Him, it has it, it means not just to like know that He exists, like in a headspace you know about Jesus. It means know like experience. Like you've come into contact with Jesus. You've dropped your nets or pride or questions or doubts to follow him and your life has been changed forever. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is life everlasting. This is eternal life. And the scriptures are so clear on this that they actually give Jesus the title, eternal life. They give Jesus this phrase, as a title in 1 John chapter 1, verse 2, John refers and says, the life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, talking about Jesus. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. Basically, we proclaim to you Jesus. Jesus is the life everlasting. Jesus is eternal life. To know him is eternal life. One of my favorite images used to describe Jesus is uh, a phrase, the tree of life. Jesus is described as the tree of life. You see, in the very beginning of the story of the Bible, in a book called Genesis, takes place in a garden. And in this garden, we're told that there was a tree of life. And this tree of life represents God's own creative power and presence. And God's first command to humans, actually, in the book of Genesis, is to actually eat of this tree, to eat of the tree of life, to literally ingest God's own life. And we're told, according to the story, that when humans ingest from this tree, that they inherit eternal life. But what happens is Adam and Eve, they eat from the one tree that they weren't supposed to eat from. They eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And sin enters the world and God restricts access to the tree of life. And then at the very end of the story of the Bible, at the very last book in the book of Revelation, Jesus opens up access again to the tree of life. He says, he who believes in me, who has followed me, eats from the tree tree of life. 
To know him is to eat from the tree of life, to taste and see that the Lord is good. This is life everlasting. This is eternal life, to know Jesus and have his power and his presence in your life. That's the first thing. Jesus is life everlasting. Now I wanna dig into the second thing because all of this can get a little confusing, right? Everlasting life sounds like all that it does is increase the quantity of life. All it does is increase the duration of life, but everlasting life is Jesus. And if that's true, then when we say that we believe in a life everlasting, we are saying something not just about the quantity of life, but also about the quality of life. Not just about the quantity, but also about the quality. You see, because you can't just increase, uh, something just doesn't become better just because you increase its quantity, right? And that's true for life itself. Like, haven't have you guys ever read Tuck Everlasting? Come on, like, I read that in sixth grade, English language arts, whatever the class was called. Okay book. But you can't just increase the quantity of life and it becomes better. The same is true for uh, something delicious, 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 like Krispy Kreme donuts. Oh, Krispy Kreme donuts are absolutely amazing. They're manna from heaven. And when that hot light is on, Glory, hallelujah, like I gotta get some. But too many of those, not a good thing. Like maybe like a dozen in like 30 minutes. I may have done that on spring break. I think it was like eight or 10 or something like that in like 30 minutes. By the way, that's how you know that you went to a Christian college. If on spring break, you're like binge eating donuts instead of doing other spring break things. Too many of anything can be not a great thing. Think of even a song, a favorite song, a good song. Uh, a song I could think of, Wake Me Up by Aloe Black and Avicii. Wake me up when it's all over. You know that song, right? It was a great song until they decided to play it every minute of every hour of every day on all the radio stations, Apple playlists, Spotify playlists, any event that you went to. And you were like, at the end of six months, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to hear this song anymore. I want you to shout to a neighbor or on an online chat something that you really enjoyed, but too much of it and it became not a great thing. I'm going to give you a second. Shout it out. See, increasing the quantity of something isn't always the best. The quality must change as well. And when we confess we believe in a life everlasting, we're saying as much about the duration of life as we are about a relationship. We are confessing something about the quantity of life and the quality of life. You see, in the person of Jesus, we are drawn, we find ourselves drawn into a quantity and a quality of life that is so rich that it can only be described as eternal or everlasting. I'll say that again. In the person of Jesus, we find ourselves drawn into a quantity and a quality of life that is so rich, it can only be described as eternal or everlasting. Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I have come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. Other translations say that they may have life, they may have abundant life. Jesus wants us to have life to the full, quantity and quality. For John and for Jesus, eternal life and life everlasting is about quantity and quality. When you start following Jesus, that changes everything. It changes the quantity of your life and it changes the quality of your life. And here's the best part. This is the second part. Everlasting life is available now. Everlasting life is Jesus, but everlasting life is also now. Eternal life, everlasting life is available now. Notice what Jesus said about eternal life. In John chapter 3, verse 36, Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. 
In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus said, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Now, notice what Jesus didn't say. Jesus didn't say, whoever believes in the Son will have eternal life. Jesus didn't say, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me will have eternal life. No, Jesus said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. It's not future tense, it's present tense. You have eternal life. Life everlasting, eternal life is available now. Because life everlasting isn't just about quantity. It's also about quality. It's life with Jesus. You don't have to wait to experience it. You can experience it now through the power and the presence of Jesus. Life everlasting is Jesus and life everlasting is now. Talking about all this reminds me of a story that I want to close with about Jesus. There's a a good place to end, right? There's a story about Jesus. And Jesus' friends uh, named Lazarus, and Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And scripture says that, that Jesus loved all three of these people. These were some of his best friends. And in John chapter 11, Lazarus, one of Jesus' best friends, became ill. And Mary and Martha, they sent Jesus' word to come back and help. They were in Judea. And they sent word to Jesus. They had seen Jesus perform all these amazing miracles and do all these amazing things. And they thought, surely Jesus can make it back to heal our brother with whatever he's sick with. But Judea was actually kind of a dangerous place for Jesus to go back to. He had had some quarrels there. And when he heard the news, he decided he was going to wait for two days. And by the time that Jesus arrived back in Judea, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And the people of the town, Mount Mary and Martha, these friends of Jesus, they were upset with Jesus. They were confused with Jesus. Like, Jesus, this is one of your best friends. We've seen you heal all kinds of people, do amazing things with strangers, and you couldn't make it back to save the life of Lazarus, to save the life of your best friend? And when Jesus finally arrived, he arrived in town. Martha actually went out to greet Jesus. She went out to greet Jesus. Jesus, and she said to Jesus in verse 11, or in chapter 11, sorry, verse 21, she said to Jesus, she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha still believes Jesus is Lord. He is who he says he is. He's done all these amazing things, but she can't help be upset. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus, Jesus responds to her in the next verse. And he looks at Martha and and he says to Martha, your brother will rise again. See, common Jewish belief at the time was that uh, resurrection of the dead would happen in the last days. And that's common Christian belief today, the resurrection of the dead. In other words, this is kind of like Jesus today at a Christian funeral reminding someone of a family member or friend, hey, you'll spend eternity with them. They'll be with God for eternity. And Martha says what responds to Jesus the only way that somebody might respond today. She says in the next verse, she answers Jesus. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Martha says, I know Jesus. In other words, Jesus, I believe that doctrine, but what does that do for my pain and what does that do for my hurt today? I believe that doctrine, Jesus. 
And Jesus, in the next verse, he looks at Martha and he says something kind of off kilter. It's a little confusing. He says to Martha, he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. You see, Martha looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, I know, I believe that doctrine. And Jesus looked at Martha and responded by basically saying, Martha, I am that doctrine. Jesus wants to remind Martha that that he is the resurrection and that he is the life everlasting. The life everlasting isn't just this abstract idea that's going to happen at the last day that you can, a belief you can attach to a system of beliefs. Life everlasting is Jesus. He is the resurrection and he is the life everlasting. He is life eternal. And Jesus also wants to remind Martha that you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait for death and for resurrection to experience eternal and everlasting life with him. It's available now. Jesus wants to remind Martha the same two things that scripture teaches us, the two things we can know about the life everlasting, that life everlasting is Jesus and it's available now. And that's why Jesus does what he does next. Jesus asks to be taken to where they've laid Lazarus. He doesn't know where the tomb of Lazarus is. And so they they take him to Lazarus' tomb. They take him to where they believe final reality is, the grave. And Lazarus has been dead four days. Not like for days, like for the number four days. That's significant. And a common Jewish belief at the time was that for three days, your body lay dead, but your soul kind of hovered. And then on the third day, like you were totally dead. Lazarus has been dead for four days, which means he is like full dead. He's not like Wesley from The Princess Bride, like half dead. He's full dead. And by the way, if you haven't seen Princess Bride, stay at home order. You got plenty of time. Make it happen, all right? Lazarus is full dead. And when Jesus arrives at this dead man's tomb, he asks for the stone to be rolled away. And Martha kind of speaks for everyone. Like, Jesus, this this guy's been dead for four days. Like, the odor, it's going to stink really bad. Like, I don't think we should do that. I don't want to do that. But Jesus convinces them to roll away the stone. The stone is rolled away. And Jesus then, he looks at the tomb. He looks at the tomb of Lazarus and he shouts in John chapter 11, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes walking out. Raised from the dead in all of his stench, wearing all of his death linens. Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And all of this sounds totally crazy because it is crazy. But friends, I'm telling you, this is what Jesus does. Jesus makes dead people come alive. And he doesn't just talk about it in the future. He does it in the now. In all your stinkiness, covered in all your death linens, Jesus makes dead people come alive. He makes old things new. Now I want you to know this morning, That if you feel like Lazarus, maybe you're not physically dead, but you feel like you're in a tomb enclosed with a stone with a stench and death linens covered all over you. I want you to know that Jesus wants to make you come alive. Jesus wants to make you new. Jesus is shouting, come out. The truth is we're living in a difficult time. 
That's not new news. That's not surprising to anyone. And talking about the life everlasting seems like a really hard thing to do when many of us feel like Lazarus, right? Many of us are unsure of how we're going to pay the bills because we've lost our jobs. Some of us may have our family members or our friends that are sick, or some of us have just had our life plans and what we thought was going to be next just totally flipped upside down, and we have no idea what's coming next. And talking about the life everlasting seems really hard right now. I have good news this morning. I have good news in Jesus that life everlasting is Jesus and life everlasting is now. You see, life everlasting isn't the ability to go to the movies when you want. Life everlasting isn't the ability to go or play or watch sports. Life everlasting isn't the ability to go eat in a restaurant or go grocery shopping without a mask on that fogs up your glasses and yanks on your ears. Life everlasting isn't a full bank account. It's not a perfect life plan working out. Life everlasting isn't even a healthy body. Life everlasting is Jesus, his power and his presence in your life. And it's available now. In Jesus, you have life everlasting. Not you will have. Not you did have. You do have. Just say yes to Jesus. Drop your nets, doubts, questions, pride, whatever it is. Follow him and you have life everlasting. As Christians who believe in the Apostles' Creed, we believe in the life everlasting. We believe that it is Jesus, and we believe that it is now. That is good news this morning. So what I want to do is I want to pray this morning. As I pray, I want to provide some time for response. Maybe you feel like Lazarus this morning. Maybe you've said yes to Jesus, you've done this, but it, it's been so long ago and you feel like you're in the tomb, covered in the stench and the death linens, and Jesus is calling to you, come out. Or maybe you've, you've never really said any of this or done any of this, you've never even heard any of this, but you just feel this, this burning in your heart, just calling at you to, to come out. And if that's you this morning, nothing dramatic. As I pray, I just, I just want you to pray along with me as we close this morning. We pray. God, thank you for today. God, amidst all the chaos, amidst all the craziness and the job losses and the sickness and all the life plans, being up, flipped upside down. God, you are moving and you are working. You are making old things new and you are making dead people come alive. We are a church. We are a people that believe in the life everlasting, that it is you, Jesus, and that it is available now. God, I just want to lift up folks at home who, uh, for whatever reason, feel like Lazarus this morning and feel you or hear you screaming at them, come out. God, I want to give them just a, a quick second to just, to just ask you to, to move in their life, to roll away the stone, to call them out, to remove their death linens and remove their stench and make them new, make them alive. God, would you do that this morning? God, we are a people 
who believe Jesus changes everything. We believe that the Apostles' Creed is full of words that perform, that change things, that change our entire life, not just the quantity of it, but also the quality of it. God, would you make that real? Would you make that tangible today and this week? God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, his death on the cross and the the hope and the life that we have in him. And it's in his name that we pray these things. To you be the hope and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.